welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Yes, the title of this talk is Freedom in the Quiet. And, you know, when I do speaker meetings like this, or when I've done speaker meetings like this in the past, <clears throat> I tend to make some notes and then I just trust my higher power that whatever needs to come out is going to come. It's going to come out. Um, And so my intent is to talk about freedom in the quiet. And I'm just surrendering this time to my higher power. Um, And so I just, I want to lead with, with that. Um, I'm going to give just a brief, very, very brief 60 second version of of what got me here, because ultimately what got me here was noise, (laughs) you know, noise in my head. And um, that just elicited some really big feelings that I did not know how to deal with. I didn't have the tools to deal with those big feelings, Um, which led to eventually, I mean, you know, my sexaholism and that certainly having a bent towards that started when I was really young, but my acting out, uh, my physical acting out started when I was in high school and um just the, the noise in my head that elicited some really big feelings around, you know, a lot of anxiety and depression that I did not have the tools to deal with. And so that led to chronic masturbation, use of pornography, dependency relationships, and <clears throat> ultimately acting out um, sexually with people eventually. And so when I got into the program, um, I didn't know this at the time, but my sponsor had me, you know, that, that part about, are we willing to do whatever it takes? My sponsor had me uh, really consider giving up some things that would help my brain to get quiet. And so when I first got sober, there were, um, there were a lot of things that I had to surrender and give up travel being one of them, uh, wearing high heels. So <laughs> interestingly, was one of them, um, you know, that, kind of that desire to just be powerful um, and take was, was certainly a part of my deal. And that at the time quieted the noise in my brain. That was my version of, um, of getting quiet because it allowed me ultimately to numb out, which eventually led, led me to act out. And so, um, you know, gosh, lipstick, I had to give up, uh, certainly had to give up dating, which I'm going to talk a little bit about today. Um, had to give up things like Botox. Uh, I, I became very obsessed with my appearance, image management. And um, so couldn't do so many of those things for for many, many years. And it slowly over time, I've been able to add some of those things back in um, in a healthy way. And, um, and the key for me is that as I do that, my brain has, I've got to be able to take my brain to that to that quiet place. Um, the quiet place ultimately is where it's where I'm able to connect with my higher power with myself and then ultimately with others in a way that is giving and not constantly taking, 
from other people in order to fill up, you know, what's lacking in myself. Um, you know, one of the pieces and, and one of the reasons I, I really, as I've been thinking about this and pondering, um, what part of my story today has led me to that quiet place the most, and that is the process of dating. And so, um, this is the, for today, um, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about that and just what my higher power has kind of led me to and what he's still leading me to in that process. Um, you know, I don't know what it's like in other meetings, but I don't hear a lot. Uh, I don't hear a lot of, um, shares or people talk about dating. And so when I originally, um, decided that this was with a former sponsor that, that I was going to kind of step back into that world. Um, I thought that to myself about, you know, got all this recovery, got three and a half, <clears throat> excuse me, three and a half, four years of recovery. I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of work. Like I'm good. I don't need a dating plan from a sponsor. Um, I'm good. And so <clears throat> I, you know, got on these dating apps and um, was able to stay sexually sober, but that noise came back immediately that noise in my head. And the reason that I believe that that noise came back was because, uh, well, there were a couple of reasons. One of them was that I thought I could do it by myself. I thought that, um, you know, even at three or four years into the program, I thought I've got enough tools in my tool belt. I don't need this whole dating plan thing. (laughs) That's for people who are, you know, I've only been in the program for six months or whatever. And so what I've learned is that my addicts is still that piece about self-sufficiency, you know, self-will run riot and self-sufficiency is still something that I really have to be mindful of surrendering on a daily basis, sometimes many, many, sometimes hundreds, it feels like hundreds of times a day. Um, And so after I realized that, gosh, I do in fact need a dating plan. Didn't take me long doing it on my own. Realize I need to call my sponsor and, you know, do what she said. And <clears throat> one of the things that she told me to do, which I thought I, I would have rather have been buried alive. <laughs> she told me to tell this person that I was dating. I was available for one date a week with no contact in between, with the exception of talking about the logistics of our date. I, at the time, did not understand why she was having me do that. The reason that she was having me do that was because my brain needed to get quiet. She was showing me through her suggestions and how to create space so that, um, you know, and adding some of these things back in, you know, she used to tell me, she still tells me, she said, the purpose of recovery is not to withdraw from the world forever. It is to be able to engage in our lives and in the world in a way that is is healthy. And, um, you know, that when we're able to take those calculated risks with the safety net of a higher power, the fellowship of the program, the steps and a sponsor, that, um, you know, that we do get to take some some risk and potentially add some of those things back into our lives. And so, um, you know, that was my first exercise in taking a risk and something that I decided, you know, after prayer and consideration that I wanted to engage, I wanted to engage in dating. Um, but that was a way for me to create the space up here mentally to do it 
in a safe way so that my brain wasn't constantly filled with the noise of, of texting incessantly. And um, sorry, my phone just got really dark. Let me see if I can brighten my screen. Oh. Sorry, guys. There we go. Um, and so <clears throat> as, you know, the, as my dating process continued, what, um, what I realized is that that 11th step is, <laughs> it's, it's not just important. It's crucial for me. That 11th step of that prayer and meditation and actually creating space in the morning and at night. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have rigid spiritual practice. And by rigid, I mean, let me rephrase that. I don't necessarily have set spiritual practices, um, things that I do or say every morning or every night. Sometimes I do. But it's for me, it's more about just creating, uh, honestly, the discipline. I mean, I like the title of this meeting. It's I don't remember what it is, but there's that piece of like, just do it. Like you still have to do it. <laughs> so um, as someone who's a verbal processor, I talk a lot, creating that space in the morning and in the evening, especially while taking a new risk, something that I had to cut out for years in the beginning of my, my journey, taking a new risk, um, rediscovering, you know, what does healthy sexuality look like? I still don't know. I'm still trying <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out, you know, but stepping back into that space in a healthy way um, really demands the my 11 step practices on a very, very regular basis. And so I have a lot of gratitude um, for my sponsor in, in, in showing me that and showing me how to create just the physical space in the meantime. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned too in my 11th step is how to, you know, it's fine to have these spiritual practices in the morning before I start my day and at night when I end my day. But what about those 14 hours in between? <laughs> That's a lot of time for that noise to, to reintegrate its way in, into my sweet little brain up here. And so um, this, this piece of just the constant surrender and acceptance, there was a, a reading, I think it was on Saturday's reading in the real connection that talked about the radical acceptance, even in the, in the circumstances and in the, you know, the parts of my life that aren't necessarily what I, you know, want them to be. Um, certainly, I mean, I've been dating the same person for over a year now and, you know, in learning someone else and learning, you know, it's like holding up a mirror to me, um, being able to accept fully whatever comes my way with radical surrender, even to that, um, what that has done for me, it, it removes the, um, the need for, I would say the propensity towards control which, man, if I had one character defect that I could just kick out the window that would never come back like right now, it would be control. Um, control for me is one of the things that makes my brain the noisiest. And I didn't realize until I started dating how much, especially with, um, 
you know, romantic relationships, that control is what kept me for so many years from integrating into an intimate relationship with real intimacy. You know, I wanted to control it with my sexuality. And um, as long as I was doing that, the thoughts in my brain, the feel, the fear, the fear that I had of engaging in this new scary thing, whatever it is, for me, it's relationships. That's, you know, one of my, one of my greatest fears is, is engaging in relationships in that way. The way that I was able to control that um, noise in my head was through my sexuality. And what that looks like for me today is trying to control other people, <laughs> trying to control, control what they do or what they don't do. Um, and, you know, even over this last year, the thought of relinquishing that control and trusting that by me backing off that the quiet that comes over me just in that surrender of backing off and relinquishing control, that is where my higher power, man, (laughs) this is all, some of this is still so new to me because I'm experiencing it in new ways. I'm experiencing it in new ways through dating. But when I back off, when I surrender, that is when the peace of my higher power washes over my mind. That is when my mind softens. That is when it quiets down. That is when this peace that I, I cannot explain is beginning very slowly, like an IV drip is beginning to take over this area of my life that has caused me um, I would say maybe not the most fear, but certainly it's one of, again, one of my, one of my biggest fears. And, um, you know, I think also surrendering to this idea that my higher power does not work in my time. He does not work (laughs) on my timeline. And more often than not, he actually works like an IV drip. And so, um, you know, my part is to show up and let him insert that thing in my arm. But, but the, the rate, at w- the type of medicine that I, the, the rate at which he works in my recovery ultimately has nothing to do with me. Um, the thing about an IV drip is that, you know, for anybody who's ever had an IV, it requires that you be pretty still. Not a lot of activity you can do while you're receiving an IV drip. <laughs> it's a lot of stillness the willingness to just be still and let the medicine do what it needs to do um, in the time that it needs to do it. And, you know, one thing I've learned about that is that, um, again, the more I radically accept a higher powers timeline and not mine, um, there's not a lot of room for shame there for me. Shame is one of the things that keeps my brain noisy. When I'm in fear, for me, nine times out of 10, the other side of that coin is shame. A lack of feeling worthy, a lack of feeling able, a lack of feeling, um, you know, a lack of whatever. The other side of fear for me, nine times out of 10, maybe 10 times out of 10, is in fact shame. Um, Shame and fear keep my brain noisier than just about anything else. And when my brain is noisy, especially when it's noisy with shame and fear in my past, and even today, that it was an absolute express route to my acting out. And um, today, if I'm not mindful of that, it it will become an express route to me acting out or acting in again, 
which ultimately keeps me from the things that, that I want, you know, for my life. And so, um, you know, the recognition that, that my higher power uh, doesn't very rarely does he show up right in front of my face in this big, huge way. Most of the time, and certainly right now in my life, it's just this slow, um, sometimes excruciating, but but more often than not today, really beautiful process. Um, that the more I surrender to it, the more peace just floods me. When I've got that peace that floods me, that is when I have something to give to other people. My brain has the space because it's not filled with fear and shame. I'm free. You know, I'm free to take some calculated risks with the help of my sponsor, with the help, the safety net of this program, and ultimately with the help of my higher power, like dating. Dating's a big risk for me. Um, I'm able to do things like speaker meetings without having such, you know, anxiety that I literally feel like I'm going to throw up. You know, I, because there, there's this idea that it's not, it's not about, I'm beginning to very, very slowly learn that it's, it's not about me. It is about whatever my higher power chooses to do in me over a 24 hour day. And, um, you know, the fact that there's freedom to speak on, um, at a meeting in a Barcelona meeting, I mean, five years, four years ago, three years ago, if you, if anybody had said to me, you know, you're going to have the freedom to be able to talk about your brain being quiet while you're dating on a meeting that it's got people from around. I mean, I would have said that you're crazy. I would have told my sponsor, she's crazy. There's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. There's no, there's no way. And that was true. There actually was no way with in my own power, um, you know, this idea of um, of getting quiet is such a gift. It is a means of grace that I have to ask for, just like I have to ask for my sobriety every day. I have to ask for my higher power to give me reprieve from a noisy brain. And sometimes I get it. And sometimes it's a little harder. (laughs) Sometimes it's a little harder to get, you know, but it's on those days where I get to go to meetings and I get to make phone calls and I get to use the tools that, um, that gosh, I I don't know how other people do it. I, I do not know how other people do it without a 12-step program. <laughs> I mean, I really, I guess, you know, they're just little enigmas and I, I love it. Good on them. But that is, that ain't me. That is not the story. My brain requires uh, a lot of connection. The beautiful thing about that, though, is even on those days when my brain is noisy and I uh, have to work my program a little harder, there's something beautiful that comes from that, too. You know, and... And that's the piece that I'm also slowly beginning to learn is that, um, you know, my higher power for me, my experience is that he doesn't work in spite of my stuff. He works because of it, that he works um, 
that dare I say it's even there um, on purpose, you know, that, that for whatever reason, um, this is part of my story uh, that it's supposed to be a part of my story. All of this, um, you know, anxiety that I have, some addiction, all of these pieces are coming together to yield a quiet space. I mean, that is so paradoxical <laughs> that my higher power would use these things to ultimately lead me to a place of um, quiet and serenity and dependence and um, just the freedom to live, you know, the freedom to have some joy. It's not there all day, every day. <laughs> it's not. Um, but then I'm able to access it in ways today that, um, gosh, that are just brand new. I mean, five years in, you know, I still feel like I'm a baby. I still feel like I'm a newcomer because all these, these little pieces of recovery are still happening for me. I mean, those promises, man, they, they come true. They come true. And, um, you know, one of the things that my sponsor keeps reminding me of about that is that it is through these steps <laughs> that those promises come true. Um, you know, I talk about big feelings and that that's ultimately what led to my acting out. And so often, especially when I started, I started working with a new sponsor about uh, oh, maybe a year and a half ago, a little over a year ago. I don't know. And, you know, she, even more than my first sponsor, refers me back to the steps all the time. <laughs> you can tell that I'm, you know, even in the tone of my voice, I'm not always happy about that. But she refers me back to the steps all the time because she knows in her recovery that that is what, I mean, her experience is that that is what makes her brain quiet. Thank you. That's what makes her brain quiet. And, um, you know, that's certainly my experience too, is that there's no guesswork here. Um, for someone who's had a noisy brain since I was really, really, really little, I'll say that um, OCD is a part of my story. And that that, you know, that that started for me when I was really, really young. So noisy brain has been a part, has been with me for a really long time. And that for so many years, I thought, I have to figure this out. I have to figure out a way to make my brain quiet so that I can function as a human. You know, freedom was never, I mean, forget freedom. I just wanted to function, you know? Freedom was not even on my radar. I just wanted to be able to function. My brain was so loud. And now I know that I don't have to guess anymore. I don't have to do that. I have 12 beautiful steps that, that teach me more and more all the time how to soften. It doesn't always get rid of it, but how to soften that noise. Put the damper pedal on it. You know, for those of you who play piano, just put the damper pedal on it. Um, and through that process and through a willingness to um, just create, you know, my sponsor tells me all the time, she says, figure it out. Mally's not one of the steps. Figure out, figure it out. Thinking makes your brain noisy. Stop it. <laughs> Do the steps. You know, um, there's a 10th step in the, the way that the step into action suggests working a 10th step, I think is really beautiful. Um, I won't go into that, but 
for those of you who are interested, it's, it's a, it has been a key way to help me quiet my brain at the end of a noisy day. Um, I think I just want to close with saying for me, getting quiet is not easy. Sometimes it elicits really big feelings that are scary. But when I am able to surrender those feelings and to surrender the outcome and to listen to the counsel of other people that are in this program, work the steps, my brain gets quiet. And that gives me the freedom to engage in this life that I only have one of and do it in a way that is healthy and safe, um, that at least at times is giving. I'm not going to say I'm a giving person all the time. It's not true. But that I'm able to give today, at least some of the time, in ways that aren't uh, always selfish and um, taking, that I can do it sober is a miracle. That there is um, some emotional sobriety that continues to increase all the time that I'm able to be in a dating relationship that is healthy and good um, that other people are invited into is so unbelievable to me. I, I never in a million years thought that that my mind would be quiet enough, that my heart would be free enough to do to do that, to engage in that in a healthy way. And it's not perfect but it's so different. And that 11th step, that prayer and meditation, that quieting of my mind, regardless of my circumstance, um, gosh, even today is just, it's just the answer. It's the answer for me today. And it's going to be the answer tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, and when I forget, I get to go to meetings and I get to make phone calls and I get to call my sponsor and I get to work the steps. I am never alone. I, I never have to be alone again, ever. Because of this, I'm never alone. And that for me, ultimately, um, yields a beautiful freedom as well. And so I just have so much gratitude. Thanks for listening to me share. I hope it wasn't too rambly. Um, and I just, yeah, just appreciate you guys letting me be here today. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Natalie. That's the most helpful share I've heard in a very long time because I'm a verbal processor. I have OCD and complex mm. PTSD. And mm. um, I have a very noisy head. And I just spent three nights up all night drinking caffeine and plugged into the internet. And you mentioned texting. I'm annoying the devil out of my friends and sponsor with too much texting. I just cannot switch off because when I switch off, I crash and I have to face my feelings. And I just, mm -hmm. I haven't got a question. I just wanted to release and say, hey, really helpful. Everything you think you said was to me. I feel like you're talking from my mm -hmm. experience. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Thank you, Kathleen and Natalie. Uh, Nancy, you're up next. Yeah, hi, I'm Nancy Sessaholic. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, my gosh. So amazing. And just to let you know, there is no time limit on your response to folks. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, I was going to ask you, 
Um, can you give examples of how you get quiet? It, but but something came up. Now, you may not want to answer this. You said even you kind of paused and you said, you know, even today. And it sounded like you were thinking of a situation where, yep, this is what I had to go through and do. And if you could just share that so that I can yeah. see how you walk through. Yeah, sure. Um, in the beginning, when I first really started to, and can y'all hear, I've rolled my window down a little bit. There's some noise outside. So that's a good, okay. In the beginning, um, it was much more structured. I found a place in my room, actually by a window. Windows are very helpful for me because I can look up. And um, so I found a place in my room and I made a pa- kind of a pallet. <laughs> put a big mattress pad down there and I kind of made it my spot, you know, and at night before I would go to bed, uh, when it was dark, that is when I just would really spend some time with my higher power and meditate a little bit. Um, Oh, I think we got a little feedback. Um, Nancy, are you there? I am. Yeah. Marty, if you could please mute. Please mute. There we go. Can you hear me now? Okay, there we go. Um, anyway, and so in the beginning, like I said, in, in the morning, I would get up and I had, you know, a few different readings that I would do. Sometimes they were, you know, it was essay approved literature. Sometimes it was from my faith tradition. Sometimes it was prayer and meditation. Sometimes a combination of those things. Today, it shifted a little bit. Like, for example, today, my brain was feeling really, really noisy. And so I had 20 minutes um, earlier today at work and I went on a really fast paced walk. <laughs> Um, that I am learning that moving my body when I'm not listening to music, um, is man, that quiets my brain. Wow. That quiets my brain. And so I've had to sort of reframe that instead of thinking, Oh, am I going to exercise today? No, it's, am I, how am I going to move my body today? Or do I need to move my body today to, to calm my, to calm my mind down. And so literally an hour before I got in this meeting, I was like, uh, uh-uh, I got to go take a walk. I got to walk it out, <laughs> you know, and it worked. It worked. It, it centered me to be able to do this. So is that helpful? Did that answer your question? Oh, that's great. In fact, that's actually what I do sometimes when a lust temptation becomes overwhelming, I'll just like walk and, and sweat and, you know, and then it'll, yeah, yeah thank you very mm-hmm. much. Sure. Okay, uh, thank you, Nancy. Uh, by the way, we have enough hands up that I, if you have fewer than 30 days of sobriety, feel free to go ahead and get in line uh, since we have so many hands up already. So let's go with Stephanie F. next. Oh, thanks, Daniel. Um, Stephanie, grateful you're covering sexaholic. Um, <laughs> Natalie, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see your face. <laughs> yeah, likewise. <laughs> Uh, it was just, I was so excited to, to come today and to, to hear your talk and, um, okay. yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah. And I just, you know, um, when I had shared at this meeting, I was sharing about kind of that quietness versus that kind of shout of lust as well. But 
am so excited that you're, you know, you're sharing this in this dating context because I haven't been there yet. You know, it's, it's kind of like I've been seeing that in my recovery in general, and I'm trying to go into this new arena. And so for you to be sharing about that, I'm just really grateful for, because I think it's um, such an important topic and I'd always like Um, just that idea of um, leaning into into intimacy. And I think for that reason, one of the phrases um, that you mentioned that, that kind of jumped out at me was the idea of calculated risks, because um, I tend to be a pretty invulnerable person. I tend to feel more comfortable hiding. Um, and I realized, though, oh, thank you. And I realized that um, I often will, um, I can go... vulnerable I'm just sort of like it's almost like you know dumping dumping vulnerability on somebody mm -hmm. so I'm really interested if you could maybe share a little bit more about maybe even if it's just in a general fashion about like what that those calculated risks those moments of vulnerability have how they've kind of turned out for you or what that sort of look like sometimes mm -hmm. yes and definitely you're, you're cutting out a little bit but I think I think we have the question yeah yeah so what those calculated risks have looked like and how it's turned out. <laughs> um, there is, um, I don't know if anybody knows Harvey. <laughs> um, he's kind of famous. And uh, he's from Nashville and has been um, in the program for decades. And one thing that I've heard over and over again and from my own sponsor as well is tell the simple truth. You know, we start with the simple truth that, um, you know, I heard it once said that vulnerability where, you know, it's kind of that dump of vulnerability makes the person who's receiving it go like this, like they, and, you know, my arms are kind of, my hands are up over my face that um, it's almost like shining a floodlight in their face. And um, that that is actually for me, that's not vulnerability that is ultimately me taking and so what I've found to be true, and especially in dating, is that, uh, and I have to check it out with people. I have to, you know, especially, uh, I have to check it out <laughs> with people. Is this the simple truth? Does this level of truth match the level of intimacy that I have with this person? That's the question. Does the level of truth that I want to share match the level of intimacy that I have with this person, whether it's a friend or whether it's someone I'm dating or, or whatever? And if the level of truth that I'm wanting to share far outweighs the level of intimacy that I currently have with them. For me, that's floodlighting. That is, that is an intimate, that's a, that's a, that's the dump, you know, which is ultimately I think harmful for, for both people. And so my experience is when I ask the question, does the level of truth that I'm wanting to share, does the level, does it match the level of intimacy that I have with this person? When I kind of follow that guideline with the intent of taking a risk, it is risky and wanting to be known a little bit more. Um, it tends to work out pretty well, you know, and then I get to decide if the person on the other end is not open to hearing that they're not going to be open to hearing anything else, at least not right now. And that's okay. You know, I don't have to manage that. Um, does that answer your question? Oh, yes, definitely. That was so helpful. Thank okay. you so much. Allie. Sure. It's so great to, yeah. to see you. <laughs> Thanks. You too. You too. <laughs> Thanks, Stephanie. Uh, next up, Martina. Yeah. Um, 
Thank you very much for your share, Natalie. It was really a pleasure to listen to you. Mm. And I have a question about, like you said, you are in a dating process and now you are finally able to engage in a healthy, good way. Um, and I was just wondering, um, like, the like, how can you tell or how can you be sure it's not lust involved, but it's a healthy, good thing and not like maybe lust and you are in denial or something? Like, how can you tell it's a healthy, good mm. thing and um, no lust involved? Like, how can you tell yeah. the difference? Yeah, that's my yeah. question. Thank you. Great question. And I'll tell you, as somebody with OCD, that how can I be certain? That's a question that I have had to surrender because a lot of times I can't be certain, you know? what so what I have to do is call my sponsor <laughs> I have to reach out to other um you know it's been really helpful I, I was fortunate enough to have another friend who was dating in the program as well she actually recently got married and so to have that experience and to also be able to talk with other women who are married about healthy sexuality and and how does lust come up for them how do they know that they're engaging in healthy sexuality or not when they're actually you know being intimate with a, with a spouse and it's, but it's muddy sometimes, you know, it certainly is. Um, what it, it's talking about it, man. It is getting out of my head I, that, that, and, and talking with my sponsor. Um, gosh, I have to talk, <laughs> I have to talk about it. I have to write about it. I mean, even yesterday, you know, there was something that came up for me, um, where I just felt less creeping in. And she was like, okay, I want you to write about that. And then I had, I read that to her last night and we talked about where lust was coming in and, and what, so it's a moving, it's a moving target, you know, for me, because I was really romantically, emotionally, anyway, celibate for five years and certainly sexually and always celibate for five years. Um, reintegrating that part of my life, I had to surrender the perfection. I had to surrender this idea that I was going to do it perfect. I still do not do it perfectly. I mean, I, I do not do it perfectly. <laughs> and the person that I'm in a relationship with is not an addict. And so we've just, we have to, I have to have at this point, you know, we have a lot of conversations about lust and what lust looks like for me. And I'm in a relationship with someone who's able to have those conversations with me, which is also really helpful um, but inviting other, to answer your question in short, it is inviting my higher power in first and foremost and inviting other people in. Holy cow. For me, that's the ticket. And my sponsor just refers me back to the steps, <laughs> back to the steps over and over again. I mean, I've had to do a lot of little mini step ones, um, powerlessness over less, you know, cause it does. It creeps in. I mean, for anybody who is dating, you know, I would argue for anybody. I mean, lust for me, I have to accept that, you know, it's going to creep in from time to time. My, 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 you know, because I'm powerless over it. My job, my, my, mind. what's mine to do today is to surrender that and then invite other people in to help me invite my higher power in. I don't know if that answers your question. I wish I had a magical formula. Um, I don't. I'm learning that life is messy. Relationships are messy. And that there is a way to engage in that messiness that is 
healthy because I have help today. And I didn't have that before I got into recovery. It's a good question. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you, Martina and Natalie. Okay, next up, David G. Hey, everybody. I'm David. I'm a sexaholic. <clears throat> now we, I'll keep this quick because I could relate to you down the line. Um, but you really put something together for me today, and I wanted to thank you. Um, so I'm about um, two and a half years sober, and the anxiety for me has gotten more acute as I stay sober. And I used to think it's because of something I'm not doing, but I just realized from your share that that anxiety is, it's almost like an addiction because it gets me Mm. moving in my life so that I can be in control. And what's underneath that is shame. And, and, you know, by slowing down and getting quiet, it, it gives me, it puts me in connection with myself, with others and with God. And I need that connection to stay sober. I can't stay sober without it. And, um, and so, and, and so, and the way you kind of said it, it is, it's work every day. Like the other day I had a choice to work out or go take a walk in nature. And it was real work for me to go take that walk. I had to surrender my desire to want to go work out. Um, so thank you for that. It really mm-hmm. uh, made a lot of sense to hear it from you. And thanks for your experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Thank you, David. Uh, Hadassah. Hey, I'm Hadassah, sexaholic. Natalie, thank you so much for your share. Um, and uh, I related so much to just everything you said. And, um, I, uh, it's, it's amazing. Cause I was, I was just talking about, uh, I was just talking about the noise today, uh, with my sponsor. Um, I, uh, I just started my seventh step and, um, examining my character defects and writing down every time a specific character defect comes up, I realize how noisy <laughs> my mind is. Um, and, uh, how difficult how difficult it is for me to just be. Um, Mm. And, uh, and I related a lot, um, you know, about the, you know, with the OCD and I just discovered also that, um, that I have body dysmorphic disorder, which, you know, goes very well with the (laughs) sexaholism. Um, And uh, I've been thinking a lot about perfectionism, judgmentalism, obsession with, uh, with image physical image in particular. And, uh, and I was wondering, I was wondering if you have, um, uh, I would love to hear more of your thoughts on that. Uh, cause you said that there were things that, that you had to let go, um, mm. and then reintroduce something. So I would, I would love to hear more about that and more of your thoughts, mm-hmm. um, more of your thoughts on that. So, yeah, sure. <laughs> Man. Oh gosh. Um, I relate to that. When I was kind of in the height of my disease, um, I body image image in general was just 
gosh, I thought it was my answer to everything. And so I became, you know, I didn't go anywhere. I mean, my friends would make fun of me because they were like, do you, do you go to the bathroom without your heels on? Like, do you, you know, do you, do you go to Starbucks without red lipstick? Um, yeah, just this again, and even an obsession with things like Botox and, um, none of none of these things are bad. (laughs) They're not bad. Um, and in fact, very slowly. So yeah, I had to give up Botox. I had to give up. Um, let me rephrase that. I had to surrender Botox. I had to surrender heels. I had to surrender red lipstick. I had to surrender, um, certain ways of dressing. I had to surrender, um, you know, I had like hair extensions. I had to surrender that I had to surrender a lot of these things so that I could get underneath of what that lust to be lusted after was about. I had a lust to be lusted after. And it is only recently that I have been able, you know, I went without heels for probably about a year. I was able to, this is, this, this sounds you know crazy, but I was able to reintroduce them with wedges. Wedges were not as triggering for me as like stilettos. And then slowly over time, I was able to introduce, you know, introduce those things, but it, and sometimes I still can't. I mean, sometimes I st- there are still things that, you know, I'll try that. And I'm like, mm, how does that make me feel? Ooh, maybe not today. Maybe not right now. Maybe the, the key word is optional. I mean, it's just like sex was indeed optional. You know, these things, once they become not optional for me, that's how I know I've got something to surrender. Um, sometimes it means I have to surrender it for a prolonged period of time. I have to have abstinence from that thing. Sometimes it means I need to surrender in the moment and I still get to you know, wear the heels that day. So, you know, my sponsor says to me a lot, she's like, are you spiritually fit today to do this thing that you're wanting to do? And if the answer is no, then that is when I need to kind of sit back and and check in with whatever it is. Um, So those are just some examples of things that I had to, to let go of with regards to my appearance. Um, And I don't have to, I don't have to be as rigid today with that as I did then. I still have to be mindful, but I don't have to be as as rigid as I really had to be back then. I had to let it all go so that I could get to what was underneath, which caused a lot of big feelings, still does sometimes. And when I get quiet, though, they're palpable. I can handle them. You know, it's hard. I'm not going <laughs> to... This stuff is hard and it, it, we can do hard things. We can do hard things. We are stronger than we think because we have grace that we don't. And for, let me use, I said, I am stronger than I think because I have grace that I'm only beginning to realize is m- more immense and overpowering than any disease I could ever hope to have. That, that the grace my higher power has for me outweighs my addict. And the more I'm able to get quiet and recognize what's already true about that, the freer I am. Thanks, Hadassah, for this question. And Natalie. Uh, Next up, Lee T. Hi, my name's Lee, real sexaholic from Nashville, Tennessee. Hi. I've never... 
I had the opportunity to do sober dating. I was married, but I have had the opportunity to go through it with a sponsee. And this is about 35 years ago. We were just about trying to figure this out. There were no cell phones, none of that stuff. But uh, uh, the question comes up is what he did is that he carried around a huge pocket full of quarters and went in phone booths all the time and called. And he called me a bunch, uh, mostly during supper time. But um, when uh, I wasn't available, he had seven phone numbers on a list. And he went down and he mm -hmm. called one after the other mm -hmm. until he got somebody because of his craziness. He kept, a, he kept what he called a PCI, which is a personal craziness index. So uh, the, whole, uh, the whole question is, how much and how did you use your sponsor and other people as a bridge to God and peace? Oh, gosh. I, well, and it's not even past tense. It's how much do I mm -hmm. still have to do that today? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, even before I got in this speaker meeting, I made mm, two phone calls. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk to people every day, every day, multiple times a day. And it's not always my sponsor at this point. I mean, mm -hmm. um, but I talk to people every single day, multiple times a day. And sometimes it's about dating. Sometimes it's not. I mean, I want to, you know, I'm learning to ask people about their lives mm -hmm. <laughs> too. But, you know, it's that connection. I mean, it's the all the time, all the time, that, that phone for me has got to be as light as a dadgum feather. And there are times when it feels like a brick, but my recovery is best when it feels like a feather. And then there are some times when I feel like my higher power is saying, you know what? Stop calling people, go, go to your room, get quiet and talk to me for a minute. <laughs> so it's that both. And, you know, it's the both. And, but a lot to answer a question. Well, thank you. I just wanted to let you know yeah. his uh, dating was tremendously uh, successful. He's now 30 plus years married with a huge That's family awesome. and it's terrific. So it is possible and good yeah. things can happen. Thank so. you for that. Thanks for that encouragement. Um, thanks, Lee. Uh, I don't see any other virtual hands up and we have time for probably one, maybe two, but Probably just one more question or share. I have a question. Go ahead, Ryan. Um, when you get quiet and you begin to see kind of the, the things that are driving the noise, is the goal of getting quiet really to move past them or to recognize them and face them or a little bit of both? Like, can you just speak to that a little bit? Like, because I know the anxiety and the shame that I feel, I never know if it's helpful to try and figure it out. And I go into the figure it out room and it just makes me crazier or like mm -hmm. try and just move past it. So I don't know if you could speak to that mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. God, that's, oh, that is a good question. I feel like part of the answer is in what you just said. When, when I am asking myself, hmm, is this the right thing to do? And the response is, gosh, when I do that, it leads me to feeling crazy. Nine times out of 10, that ain't the right thing for me to do. 
is not the right thing for me to do. And, you know, when, when I first started dating, my sponsor over and over said to me, figure it out is not one of the steps. Figure it out is not one. I mean, if I've heard her say that once, she said a thousand times. And so what I'm learning today, and I'll be honest with you, this is sort of, this is kind of a thought. I don't want to be super, you know, overreactive and call it an epiphany, but maybe it felt like one. This came to me this last weekend of what is radical acceptance for me fixes nothing. It's just radical acceptance. It's letting go and trusting. I had a friend say to me the other day, she said, Natalie, she said, when we surrender completely and when we radically accept the results or the solution or whatever it is we're trying to figure out will rise up to meet us. We don't have to go looking for it. And so for me, it's that surrender the results to my higher power. I mean, I've, I've got to be willing to, and I've got to be sober, to, you know, first of all, I've got to be sober to be able to see or, or recognize those results. That's something that's come up for me in dating as lust has crept in. And I'll be very honest. It has, it clouds my judgment so that when those results are trying to rise up to meet me, I can't see it. And that's when I've got to go, we got to get lust out of the way, radically accept. And nine times, I mean, two different times this weekend in this relationship, two different times, specific things that I was thinking about and praying about. I let it go and those results rose up and they met me. It's baffling. It's still, it's baffling to me because it's still so new. So again, I don't know if that answers your question. Figure it out for me. There are certain times when I've got to, you know, seek information and make decisions about something. When that goes into figure it out spinning, that's when I know that I am in some sort of lust, some sort of not surrendered place, some sort of lack of acceptance, some sort of, I got to work my program, you know? Yeah. Super helpful. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.